Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT Annual Conference, Gift Ed 21. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today, we're chatting with Letha Williams, representing TAGT 2021 Parent Support Group of the Gifted, McKinney Gifted and Talented Alliance. MGTA is the support group for the McKinney Independent School District's Gifted and Talented Program. It aspires to connect members with the people, programs, and information necessary to enhance awareness, effectiveness, and sense of community in parenting and educating gifted and talented children. For over 40 years, they have brought their community together where they learn about what giftedness means, what it looks like, and how they can best support one another. Letha, glad to have you here today. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we've got a few questions for you about you and the the great work that you do. The MGTA seeks to connect members with the people, programs, and information necessary to enhance awareness, effectiveness, and a sense of community in parenting and educating GT children. Why is this mission a critical piece in gifted education? So as you probably know, um, giftedness and gifted parenting can feel very lonely. Hmm. Um, It can feel very isolating. Um, The differences, um, they're so profound with a lot of people. And when you're drinking from the fire hose, when you first learn what giftedness is, it's a lot of information coming in. Um, it's helpful to have people in your own community that can, that can filter that information and guide you in that. But most of all, it's to make you not feel lonely. Um, after my son was identified, and we were in a state where it's under special education, so it was very limited. There were six kids in his entire school that were identified. And I didn't really have that sense of community. I reached out, I started looking online and seeing where I could kind of find my people and start to understand that experience. And I joined a saying model parent group. And that was the first time I felt like I could breathe. Mm -hmm. Like I was with my people, they understood me, they had wisdom that it would take me years to gain. And just having that, and it's like eight to 10 people in a room talking and going through a book study. And I felt seen and heard and, um, it was life-changing for me. Um, that was before my daughter was identified and before I understood that I'm married to a very gifted individual. Um, and so his experience with the, with the isolation and the, the smallness um, of that community, we decided that we need to go, to go somewhere with more resources and more support for us um, as a family. And that's how we landed in McKinney. Um, I actually first asked my dear beloved friend, Jessica Fair, um, who was the president of McKinney Gifted at the time about a saying model parent group. And of course, as we know how it goes, when you ask about something, they say, no, we don't have one, but you can start one if you want. And she invited me to join the board. Um, it took five years to get there, but I am now a saying model parent group leader with my gifted husband and am able to, on a micro level, connect with people and let them feel seen and heard the same way that I did. So it was about finding that community, finding that uh, connection, and that has really led to a depth of understanding of the work that happens in gifted education. Absolutely. Um, For a lot of gifted kids, um, just having one person who gets you, who gets your jokes or another nerd to 
talk about what interests you, um, it can be that connection can really change the way you perceive yourself and the way that you experience your day to day. So I, I, you referred to this a little bit, but why did you feel so called to enter, not just enter into this space, but to really continue and to stay into this space? What, what, what really brings you to this uh, day in and day out? Um, it's really watching the struggle, you know, when, when people don't feel seen and heard. Um, first with my own kid, and then um, my daughter's completely gifted in a completely different way than my son. And so that kind of helped open up that lens to see, like, there's not one way of being gifted. There's not one gifted experience. Like, it can be really different, but we all need that sense of community. And um, I keep being challenged by the people in my gifted tribe in McKinney, like, to try different things and and broaden. And we looked at, like, um, when COVID started, how do we stay connected? And one of the ways that we decided to do that is I have a lot of enthusiasm for reading different books and podcasts and parents don't always know where to go with that. So we hosted some podcast chats where everybody listens to the same podcast and then we can talk about what did you get from that? How did this influence the way that you think? What further resources could you use? And that way you're giving them resources but also sharing the experience so that connection is more real. So you you brought up a few times um, there's an awareness piece to this and understanding what giftedness is. And you've had a lot of personal experience with all sorts of giftedness in your life. You know, how important is that awareness piece and get creating a baseline for, for understanding for people to, to know the, the work that's happening in gifted education? I was processing and missed the question. Could you repeat the question? Uh, it was probably a longer question than it needed to be, but <laughs> So and there's an awareness piece here of just having an understanding things like what is giftedness mm-hmm. and, and therefore what, what will services be? And that must be tough to, to, to have a support group to, to increase awareness on that. So how important is awareness in what you do? And, and, and tell us a little bit about that journey of helping parents understand gifted education. Sure. And it's really huge. And we try to actually, um, with our alpha program in McKinney and uh, in my family, we try to talk to kids about how to talk to others about your giftedness and try to help them to understand that it's a wiring difference. And it's not, I'm smarter or better. It's the way that I learn differently. And there can be a lot of backsliding um, from people who don't really understand what giftedness is. Um, and kind of can perpetuate that negative feeling and self-concept within um, the gifted population. So, I mean, one of the key things that I have to describe all the time is you're not a gifted kid, right? You're a gifted person. You don't outgrow being gifted. The adults struggle as well. There's a lot of adults in the workplace that are still outliers. And understanding what it means to be gifted and how that works and that your cohort's out there, that you just have to find them, um, is really important, especially when kids are interacting day to day with people who don't understand, for them to be able to be empowered to help explain what it means and like why you go to this separate program. I mean, we call it alpha, but we talk to the kids about when you leave to that other campus, the kids like you're just going off to this great place where you have fun, like amusement park learning. Um, And to be able to come back and explain why you need it, like it's a need, not just something you go do and why it's important to have that differentiated time um, is really important in their education embracing being gifted for life. 
So there's a certain understanding of that people need to have that this is a response to student needs, uh, which is maybe a bigger concept that all kids can enter into that we need to respond to needs, but uh, but also uh, kind of demystifying some of the aspects of gifted education uh, for people as well. Absolutely. Um, so if I'm a parent and I'm not uh, in y'all's district, I'm, I'm in my own district, we don't have something, I'm trying to learn more, I'm trying to be a better advocate, where, where do I get started? So um, my baseline answer to that is you find one person to mm-hmm. connect with. Um, we're not a, Our board's not huge, but we have 121 members, uh, family, uh, member families, um, and we work just, what can we do this year? How many people do we have? What types of interests do you have? And what can we do to enhance everybody's experience as a gifted person this year? Right, so we obviously have to adjust to that. In some years we can do a whole lot, our bandwidth is great, and some years we have to tamp down a little bit um, just because of available resources or time or, you know, a pandemic. so to, to find one other person, start a team, and then bring in another person at a time. Build it a little bit at a time. Don't try to overdo um, and burn yourself out because the work is so important and making those connections is so important. So to not, don't um, set your goals too high at first. You gotta build a community one connection at a time. So tell me, tell me about the impact and, and maybe com- comparing and contrasting the impact of when you do have an effective parent support group versus not? So the experience uh, for us has been um, when parents feel like they have someone they can go to with their questions and that they they feel supported. If they have a topic of interest and they can let us know, we can organize around that. Um, They'll continue to ask the questions and to show up for one another. And that's what the most important, it's not about us, it's about um, those families having somebody else that they can connect to and ask questions or, you know, just have a bad day with. You know, sometimes you just need somebody to to talk about. And another thing is when you're dealing with gifted kids and their abilities, I guess you'll say. Sometimes when you're talking to people who don't understand it, it feels um, like you're bragging or putting your kid above others. And sometimes you just need a safe place to talk about that and, and be able to be understood. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, a couple of questions as we start to, to wrap up here a little bit, but uh, speaking of, it seems like you've inspired a lot of other parents to become advocates, to get connected, to, st- to, st- to start to support gifted programming. Who's inspired you and, and might be in part in, uh, in terms of your, you've got people in your family inspiring you to do some of the work that you do, but uh, tell me more about who inspires you. Yeah, my family, absolutely. Um, I have gifted siblings and my parents my husband, my kids, but mostly I would say, if I had to say in one word, outliers. Mm. So anybody that stands out from a really young age, like I always wanted to make people feel like they're included and they're seen and respected. And so regardless of the direction that you're an outlier, I always want you to feel like you have a cohort and you have a place. So that's who I look for. So perhaps that mentality of outliers, again, going back to respecting the fact that there's kids on different sides of of just different places in terms of needs and in learning needs. If we see that, perhaps we can move into serving that well. Absolutely, and I come from a twice exceptional lens Hmm. also. So you can't just understand the gifted side and think you've got it all. We've Hmm. got a lot of kids out there with other exceptionalities that need our compassion. So from a parent's lens, if we're talking about the best way to foster students' potential, 
what, what would you say is the best way to foster student potential? Validate their experience and help them find connections. Very cool. Very cool. How can we find out more about you or the uh, MGTA? So you can find us at McKinneyGifted.org. All of our information is on there and as well on Facebook at McKinney Gifted and Talented Alliance. Thank you very much. Thank you to our guest today, Letha Williams. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Tempo Plus blends research-based, peer-reviewed content with an online, dynamic, searchable platform to bring members and the gifted community even more resources to meet your needs. This resource library expands to include templates, videos, tip sheets, audio recordings, and more. If you're a TAGT member or e-subscriber, you already have access. Visit txgifted.org to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today we're chatting with Amber O'Neill Johnston. Amber journeyed from a cookie-cutter approach to education that left her child feeling unacknowledged and invisible to discovering the magic of using her special sauce. She uses that to create a culturally rich and creative home learning environment. Along with advice and inspiration, this veteran homeschooling mom of four offers encouragement and a path forward for parents and children of all backgrounds who are craving a life-giving home. Welcome to the podcast, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to have you. We're going to ask you a few questions, get to know you a little bit, and, and, and the great work that you do. Sounds good. One area of interest to you is the importance of using books as mirrors and windows and roots and branches for kids to increase equity and representation in classrooms. Can you tell us more about what it means to have mirrors and windows? What about roots and branches? Well, so literary mirrors and windows, um, it's a term that I did not coin, but I have used exclusively lately um, to really describe the type of representative literature that our children need. Um, In terms of mirrors, you're talking about books where children can see themselves reflected back in their books, where um, children, as they're developing their identity and trying to figure out where they fit into the world, um, they can look at these books and see cultural markers of familiarity and say that I see bits of myself or my family or my community represented here. And the value there is that the children feel seen. Mm. Um, They feel valued. It sends a message to them that people like them matter because somebody bothered to write this book and an adult in my life shared this book with me and that there are other people who are living similarly to me and my family. And those are all messages that help children um, feel further engaged in their studies. And it just helps with even um, emotional development as well as they um, have the opportunity to know that they matter and that they belong. And Windows, on the other hand, those are books where students can see the other people and they can kind of look through the window and see how other people are living. Um, and the fun thing is that mirrors are windows and windows are mirrors. So the books don't change. It's the perspective of the student that changes. So all of our children 
need all of those books, but their relationship with the books will, will vary, will be different. And so I say that books and windows are the how, and roots and branches are the why. So what's the point? I mean, we can have our kids read these mirrors and windows. It sounds really good, and we'll feel good about ourselves, but why do we care? And the idea being that children who um, feel comfortable with who they are, they're really well-rooted well in where they, where they come from and where people like them come from and how they fit into society. And when plants are well-rooted, their branches grow. And they can extend those branches out to other people. So the ultimate goal here really is about kinship. And so on one hand, people can say, well, how do reading books about yourself help you, you know, have better relationships with other people? Because plants that don't have healthy roots don't grow towards, up towards the sun. Mm, wow. That's amazing. And it must be powerful to um, use literature, to use these books in such a meaningful way. And I'm sure... I'm sure students really enter into that and really enjoy and appreciate that. They really do. I mean, you typically don't have to convince kids, um, especially with those, you know, first introductions, those first mirrors. I remember being in fourth grade and reading my first mirror book and then reading it to my children all the years later, that opportunity to identify um, so well with characters in a book that you feel like they were part of your cultural community and to have that experience um, is really meaningful and children shouldn't I shouldn't be able to point back to this one book in fourth grade ideally nowadays children would have a whole education a whole childhood full of those books of the familiar and then you know my children included love these windows because where else do they really have the opportunity to view that deeply into the lives of an, um, another group of people or people who are living differently or experience the world differently? Um, but then also they get a chance to see how similar they are. And that's one of the best parts. One of the things that my children have pointed out to me multiple times, oh, mommy, she does this too. Or they always eat this with their meals, or they play music and sing songs when her grandmother comes over too. Yes, the songs are different, the beat, the music, the instruments, but that level of similarity allows students to um, close the gap and to see more of the humanity between each other. That's amazing. Um, man, I'm sure there's just all sorts of examples of, of the impact of this and, and perhaps how important this message is right now. Do you feel like it's really uh, captivating people, especially right now? Yeah, I think definitely eyes are opened and therefore ears are open and therefore hearts are open. Um, and I think that's really exciting because um, in so many different cases, we can kind of flare the alarm and say, this is broken and we need more of this and this isn't happening and this isn't working. And all of those things are true. And that alarm system that we have as humans, that's what elicits change in our society, change that needs to happen. But at the same time, we can take a moment to celebrate the um, progress. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely seen progress and I've seen things worth celebrating while at the same time, we're still moving forward and saying, sure, we're not going to stop here. It's not enough, but it's something. And that forward progress is invigorating it's exciting and it, it helps us to feel like little us, <laughs> you know, and the little work that we're doing in our communities and schools and families and homes that like we really are making a difference. Mm. So I'm an educator. I'm a parent listening to this podcast. 
Where do I get started? How do I use these materials to help kids explore their areas of passion more deeply? Well, the first thing I tell people, there are a couple of categories that are easiest for entering into these areas. One is to find a book about kids um, that are different than your kids just having fun. So, for instance, I'm African-American, and a lot of times when parents and teachers want to jump into including more books about black culture with their kids, the first thing they go for is enslavement and civil rights. And those are really important aspects of the black experience, and they should be included, but that's not your lead game. (laughs) You know, if you want to draw your children in, you want to show them that Um, People and children of all cultures love to play with their puppies. They like to go bike riding. They also like to solve mysteries. They have clubhouses that they build out back. They have grandmas that come and visit and favorite foods. They like to bake cupcakes and go to the amusement park. And I think like those things might not sound that exciting to us, but to a child where they're able to see that either read a book that says, I see these, these characters having experiences that me and my siblings like to have. It validates it that we are not just oppressed people walking around depressed all the time, that our ancestors have gone through hard things, that PR people are going through hard things now, but we still like to have fun. So I think starting with books that are fun, whether they're mirrors or windows for your kids. Um, And the second thing is tying into your children's interests. So if you're, instead of trying to get our kids to like something that we think they should like, to introduce them to people who share their passions. So, you know, for example, my son um, shares my love for architecture, and I read him a book about Philip Freeland, who has passed away, but he was a male black architect, and then I took him on a trip to Washington, D.C. to see a building that he had designed, and like my son that really made him feel like he could not only admire architecture, but he could be an architect. I could have picked anyone. We could have read about any number of scientists and doctors and all those things, and we do. But that particular book meant the world to him. He went to bed with it that night because it spoke to him. So I think meeting children where they are, where things they're already passionate about, and showing them that there are other people, women and people of color, who um, people who have disabilities and all types of differences and similarities that there are people who share their passions and have that same creative drive that your child might have. So there's opportunities here using uh, these materials, these books for students to make connections with things that all kids enjoy, but at the same time, uh, maybe go further and deeper with, man, there's, there's other people who share passions that I have, and maybe that'll ignite their passion a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I think and it's a good lesson for us, too. It helps our children to break away from some of the stereotypes. They might say, like, these people, I see them always in this role, Hmm. whatever that may be. Every group has those. But for your children to be able to read books about people who bust right through that, and it shows our children not to pigeonhole people and not to... Um, already think that you know someone before you get a chance to hear their varied stories. Speaking of varied stories, I'd love to hear more about your story and and maybe your journey as you are, are here and doing the great work that you do. Tell us maybe a little bit about you as a student and kind of where you've gone from then to there. Okay. Yeah, um, I grew up in a, um environment. I had two principal parents. They are both public school principals. So education was a huge thing in our family all the way through. And it wasn't um, until I finished school that I was able to kind of look back 
and realized that although I had done really well, there had been some experiences that I missed out on, and namely that I spent most of my education learning about the accomplishments and experiences of every single person except people who looked like me. And so um, that is, I think, a valuable, it was a valuable experience for me because it's possible for a child to have a positive educational experience and still be lacking. And I think it's important to speak of that nuance that we don't say children who don't have windows and mirrors are miserable, they have horrible school experience, nothing, that wasn't the case with me. But we can always say that there is room for improvement and to add a layer of richness to our children's education that I definitely did not have. So um, yeah, I think that was a unique experience in a lot of ways. And ironically, I ended up starting down that same path with my children because I could only teach what I knew. Mm. Um, and I really wasn't thoughtful or aware necessarily at that point of what exactly that situation had caused. So my daughter is not as quiet as I was <laughs> and she was not having it. So she was able to let me know pretty early on what she needed. And that's kind of what started me down the path of researching and kind of being a huge proponent of this topic. Uh, that's amazing. So tell us, uh, and, it, and, and you can you can hear the impact that your parents had on you, but who else has inspired you on this journey to uh, do the work that you're doing? Oh, wow. There are so many different people. Um, I definitely think that um, the, a lot of the older people in my family, like grandparents and great aunts and uncles, um, they did not impact me much when I was a kid. I took them all for granted. Mm. But as an adult, it's impacted me greatly because I was able to see how much wisdom was packed into um the things that they did and the way that they lived and the things that they taught us despite their lack of formal education. And as a home educator, that's something that has really informed a lot of what I do. That doesn't mean we don't do formal academics, we do do our lessons, but that I put a really high value on learning that my children experience outside the realms of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, because now as an adult, the things that drive me and the things that are playing back in my ears all the time are not the things I read in textbooks, but it's what you know the old country folk <laughs> used mm. to tell me. And everything they told me has come true down to the very last word. And so um, I think that they've had a huge impact on me as well. And then also when I talked about celebrating successes, um, I think that that's something that's really important. And I read once where someone wrote that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And that has been really inspiring for me. So I spend some of my time thinking about where we need to go and how far we are from like Eureka. But I also spend a lot of my time looking at the fact that I am their wildest dreams. And my kids, the things that we're doing and places we're going and how we're living it would have been beyond their imaginations, their wildest imaginations. So I really like to smile and celebrate those things um, and not just always talk about what what's lacking. Hmm. And I'd imagine if we're talking about uh, students and kids exploring their passions, it seems like a, a fertile bed to, to launch off from. Oh, definitely. Yeah. This is another example. And, you know, part of that roots and branches idea, the roots part, um, you know, it, 
children connecting widely with who they are, where they come from, and not just ethnically or culturally, but other experiences, the way their families are structured, if they live with one parent or grandparents, or if they're adopted, or I met a little boy a while back, and he told me that he he was born from a surrogacy, and that he found a book about that and how exciting it was for him. And I just thought, wow, that's an example of something that some of us never think about that really touched him. So, um, uh, you know, children reading those, all those different um, experiences and things like that, I think, have um, a real impact on them. But learning about those experiences within their own specific families, that's also very impactful and helps with the development of those roots because they can look at specific people, not just a person far off, but I can say this person that I know or in my actual family line um, did this thing and I want to do this thing. And we may have never met, maybe we're generations apart, but I've found that children like to be able to make that connection. So encouraging. Um, to wrap it up with one final question here, uh, fill in the blank. The best way to foster a child or a student's potential is blank. Oh, giving them freedom. Wow. Freedom. So the freedom to explore things, the freedom to be themselves, um, to have likes and dislikes, to have bad days, to excel, to be things that people don't expect them to be. Um, I think all of those things um, That would definitely be my answer. How can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Well, they can follow me at heritagemom.com. I put lots of recommended mirrors and windows there, and I'm pretty active at Heritage Mom blog on Instagram. Thanks again to our guest today, Amber Johnston. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, We hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.